In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear faithful, today's Gospel presents us with one of the most well-known miracles of our Lord, that which he first worked before other human eyes in a public setting, that which first caused, caused his disciples to start believing in his divinity. So it should therefore be well appreciated by us. But even more important, this account of the wedding feast of Cana is one filled with hidden teachings, layers of spiritual symbolism revealed to us chiefly by the fathers of the church. It's one of the richest scenes in all the gospels. And it is therefore to our detriment that we ignore its lessons. This second Sunday after the Epiphany commemorates the marriage feast of Cana in Galilee, where our Lord turned water into wine. In the first place, this miracle is a direct refutation of that dour and joyless heresy of Jansenism, this heresy which, which really was more of a collection of erroneous ideas, all tending towards a certain overly extreme approach to the faith in which sees sin here, there, and everywhere, including, including in these convivial meals where where we enjoy one another's company and we enjoy the gifts of God together. Let us begin by noting with St. Augustine the, co the continuity between the Old and New Testaments that our Lord here takes care to preserve. He shows us that he has not come to abolish the law. Indeed, he's going to keep the law. Our Lord has not come, as some have insinuated, to create the grand do-what-you-feel festival, the spirit of love which takes us here, there, and everywhere. No, he's going to keep the law, and he's going to be the, he's going to be the fulfillment of it. In effect, if, our, if the water pots, if he had commanded these water pots, to first be empty before working this miracle, and if he had created the new wine from nothing, his actions would have seemed to his fellow Jews to be a lack of proper respect and reverence for the legitimate traditions of their fathers. But converting, as he did, water into wine, he shows us that the Old Testament came from him, for it was by his order that the water pots were filled. The scene in the Gospels today is also a hidden tribute to the sublime humility of Christ, this humility which must be, more, which must be our model. St. John Chrysostom says that Christ was invited to the wedding feast not as some great person, 
not as some sort of VIP, but merely as another one of their friends and relatives, someone they knew among many. That is why the evangelist says, and the mother of Jesus was there. As they invited the mother, therefore also they invited the son. Our Lord and his disciples were invited to this marriage and the banquet after the mother. Rather than going out of a motive of simply enjoying himself, our Lord came to do a good work. And he did not hesitate, though being God himself, to take on the form of a servant. There is also a mystical symbolism in his deed, and it's shown to us in the details. There were six large stone water pots at this feast. St. Augustine and the fathers of the church tell us that this signifies the six ages of the world it already being in the sixth age when our Lord came for this marriage feast. Until this point, the world had been in longing expectation of its Savior, awaiting the one who would, the one who would teach them the truth and redeem fallen man from sin. The figures and prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament were symbolized by the water in the pots. For until the dawn of the seventh age, this age of the redemption of the human race, sinful man had not yet been given an alliance to God, to Christ, the divine word. And in taking our human nature to himself, which is weak and infirm like water, he elevated it to the level of his own divine being, making it like wine, sweet and strong to the taste, and bringing joy to our hearts. He made us, as St. Peter affirms, partakers of the divine nature by infusing it with sanctifying grace, pouring this grace, so to speak, directly into our souls. Let us never neglect to note the place of our Blessed Mother in the miracles of our Lord. For here, she is seemingly rebuffed, seemingly put away by him for a moment when she tells him that the wedding guests have no more wine. And how does he reply? We know, woman, he says, this seemingly brusque address, woman. What is that to, to me and to thee? My hour is not yet come. But Mary's faith remains unshaken. Looking at the servants, she simply instructs them, Whatsoever he shall say to you, do he. Protestants sometimes cite this reply of our Lord as evidence that Mary has no special intercessory power before her son, that we might as well pray to Christ alone. But this is not the way the fathers of the church, this is not the way Catholic Christianity for 2,000 years has seen our, our relationship with our Lord. 
the refutation of this Protestant interpretation is contained in Mary's unwavering confidence that Christ will, indu will indeed do as she wishes. And ultimately, this is exactly what he does. The institution of marriage also receives a strong affirmation as to its holiness, its intrinsic goodness, by the visitation of Christ in this wedding feast. Marriage is under attack today, and marriage was attacked by heretics of the early church, and, mar and marriage has been attacked throughout the history of the church by certain groups here and there. In the early church, there was Marcion and others. In American history, in New England, you had this mysterious sect known as the Shakers, so called after their peculiar religious habits during their services. They didn't believe in marriage either. They don't exist anymore. Let us but, but our Lord shows us, by coming to this marriage feast, that marriage is good and holy. He would never have come to an event if it were worthy of condemnation. Remember as well that this marriage, which we see in the Gospels today, took place on the third day, the day of grace. The name of the place where the marriage took, where the marriage occurred, Cana of Galilee. This has a meaning which could be expressed as desire of migrating or desire of continuing on. Those who are most worthy of our Lord are always on fire with this desire to pass from vice to virtue. Do not be fooled. You will not remain in one place in your relationship with God. You will either be advancing or losing ground. It would be better to be on the advance. Lastly, we must, under we must understand what is symbolized by the fruit of this miracle, the wine itself. Here is symbolized that queen of the theological virtues divine charity, not the poor substitute with which this, world, which this world imagines to be true charity, simply trying to accommodate those around us, oftentimes at the expense of truth. No amount of listening, dear faithful, no amount of accompaniment will change the fact that certain things are in certain realities are intrinsically good and others are intrinsically evil. Even if there are men of the church, even bishops in Germany, for example, who would like to bless immoral unions between members of the same sex. This 
is repugnant in the eyes of God. And as one cardinal recently put it, God cannot bless sin. And it is a false charity to lead these individuals on, stringing them along and telling them that their unions are somehow good or appreciated in the eyes of God. So if we take the time to examine the layers of meaning of today's gospel through the light of the fathers of the church, it is because this wedding feast of Cana holds such a privileged place in our Lord's public ministry. It was that which opened his three years of public ministry, his three years of teaching and miracle working. It was that first attempt to sow the seeds of faith in the hearts of his compatriots. Therefore, may our attentiveness to the mystery commemorated here today work in our hearts the true marriage feast, that of the soul to God, and an alliance to continue into eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.